Have you heard the old saying, don't judge a book by its cover? But that's what people do, right? We judge everything by outward appearances. In my experience, a great album cover can make or break the decision on whether I buy an album. So go on a journey with me as we look at some great album cover designs and talk about why I believe that you need a personal designer for your album artwork. This is Judged by the Cover. Welcome back to another episode of the Judged by the Cover podcast brought to you by JW Creates. Judged by the Cover is also a proud member of the Podnuga Network. So make sure to follow Podnuga on Facebook and Instagram or find them on the web at podnuganetwork.com. On today's episode, we are going to be looking at an album cover with a little bit of controversy to it. Did they steal the cover art concept? Did the photographer want their photo to be used for the cover? Did they have the date of the photo wrong for decades? This and more coming up in just a second. But first, if you haven't already, please make sure to go and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you are unsure what that means, just type it into Google and it'll point you in the right direction. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please take a minute and leave a review for the show. Reviews are very helpful in helping people discover the show. And if you could, share this episode with your friends, family, coworkers, or even your enemies, because you never know, they may like podcasts about cover art and music stories. Now, with all the official podcast stuff out of the way, let's jump into today's album cover. Today's cover has been regarded as one of the best album covers of all time. The album itself is regarded as one of the best albums of all time, and the story behind the cover shot is pretty legendary. The album we are talking about today is, drumroll, London Calling by The Clash. The Clash was an English punk rock band that formed in London in 1976 and contributed to the post-punk new wave sound that emerged out of England during this time period. Their sound employed elements from a variety of genres, including reggae, dub, funk, ska, and rockabilly. I don't know about you, but I never would have expected the words rockabilly, reggae, and punk to ever be connected together. but. That's The Clash. Like most in the punk rock world, their music is very energetic or angry. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and they cover a broad range of political and cultural topics in their songs. London Calling was their third studio album and was an experimental album that explored different sounds and topics. The album was released on December 14th, 1979 in the United Kingdom and wasn't released into the U.S. until January of 1980. So, fun fact, because this album had staggered release dates, this is one of the only albums to be honored as the greatest album in two different decades. Uh, This album experienced chart success in both the U.S. and the U.K., and is certified platinum in the U.S., This album was also what skyrocketed the popularity of The Clash in the U.S., As I alluded to in the intro, the cover art for London Calling may have a little bit of controversy to it, but let's start by talking about the cover design itself. The front cover for the album features a black and white photograph of the bass player Paul Simonon, and I'm going to be honest, (laughs) I'm going to struggle with saying his name. It's like Simon O.N. Simonon. Anyway, it features him smashing his Fender P-Bass into the stage floor at the Palladium Theater in New York City. This once-in-a-lifetime shot was captured by photographer Penny Smith, who was the touring photographer with the band at the time. 
It may be hard to believe, but this photo, it, it was not staged. It was one of those perfectly captured moments of frustration. I have seen some conflicting stories as to why he smashed his beloved guitar, but Paul shares his version of the story in an interview with Fender. Uh, he said, I was sort of annoyed that the bouncers wouldn't let the audience stand up out of their chairs. So that frustrated me to the point that I destroyed the bass guitar. Unfortunately, you always sort of tend to destroy the things you love. So <laughs> he smashed his guitar because the bouncers weren't letting the fans stand, which led to a very dull and uninteresting looking crowd. And then, yes, it led to him smashing his favorite guitar into the stage floor. He also made a comment in another interview that he wished he would have thought this through and took his frustrations out on his other guitar. But not a lot of thinking happens in those you know, heated moments. One fun side note about this guitar is that it is on display at the Museum of London. Uh, also spent some time in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Though this image perfectly encapsulates the, the energy of the music, the band, and this album, the photo almost didn't get used. In fact, the photographer pleaded with the record company and with the band for them to use a different image because the photo was blurry and slightly out of focus. And this happened because Penny was backing up. Um, she was trying to get away from Paul as he was smashing his guitar so she wouldn't get hit by flying debris, thus creating this... Uh, blurry shot. To this day, she feels kind of lukewarm about her most well-known image. In an interview in 2003, she said, it's very pleasant to be praised, but I can't see that picture now. It's been used in various forms so many times that it's a bit like wallpaper. Of all the clash photos I took, there are others that perhaps I prefer for all sorts of reasons. Continuing on with the cover design, laid on top of the photograph, we have the album title London Calling in kind of this hand-drawn looking font. London is on the right-hand side going from top to bottom in pink with Calling in green going from left and right at the bottom. Also, we have the band name in a white basic sans-serif font um, at the top just to the right of the other text. Overall, the design of the cover is pretty basic. But some of you eagle-eyed music lovers might be thinking that this font and layout looks familiar. And if you're thinking that, you're right. The layout, colors, and font style are almost identical to the cover art for Elvis Presley's self-titled album that came out in 1956. That album also had a black and white image as the focal point of the cover and similarly styled and basically identical font laid out in the same way. Uh, I'll have both of those covers side by side uh, on my website under the JW's Notes section so you can see this for yourself. That's where you can see all the digital content for the Judge by the Cover podcast. So that's jwcrates.com slash notes. You'll see the Judge by the Cover tab and you will see the post for this episode. The band said that they did this as a nod to the man that also broke the rules of rock and roll. I found this quote by Paul in regards to the similarities of the covers. He said, When that Elvis record came out, rock and roll was pretty dangerous. And I suppose when we brought out our record, it was pretty dangerous stuff too. Last little piece of controversy around this cover is the date that the guitar smashing occurred. The Clash played two back-to-back -back dates at the Palladium Theater 
first one was on September 20th. The other one was on September 21st of 1979. On the original album sleeve and liner notes, it showed that the photo was taken at the show on the 21st. The band and record company would continue to use this date as late as 2016. So this came out in like late 1979. 1980, and they were using that date up till 2016. But some detective-like fans have gathered proof that the incident actually occurred at the show on the 20th. I'll link the video in the liner notes page uh, for those of you that are interested in seeing what that evidence is. But it did actually occur uh, at the show on the 20th. Now, that date really isn't a big deal by any means. It's just an interesting piece of history that might have been recorded wrong and kept that way if someone didn't dig into it. This cover art has been regarded as one of the greatest album covers of all time. Rolling Stone ranked it 8th out of 500 album covers of all time. Other publications have also listed it very highly as a most influential album cover. The album itself has been inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame in 2007 and then was profiled by BBC Radio 1 Masterpieces, denoting it as one of the most influential albums of all time. In 1995, former Clash member Mick Jones used the same design theme for his album F-Punk, and it was also parodied for the soundtrack to Tony Hawk's American Wasteland. And actually, as I was doing a little bit of research trying to find photos of these, I did find some other ones, so that'll be listed on the notes page as well. Last but not least, the album cover was among 10 chosen by Royal Mail, which is a a British postal service or courier company, uh, for a set of classic album cover postage stamps that they issued in January of 2010. So that's pretty cool. I don't know that there's a lot of people that could say, hey, my album cover was also a postage stamp. Overall, my thoughts on this cover for London Calling is that the photograph is what makes this cover great. The fact that it is a perfectly timed shot, this raw emotion and frustration of the moment, the blurry, unfocused nature of the shot. It just all speaks to the band, the music, and the story of what was happening in that time and place of history. Uh, the, The homage to the King, Elvis Presley, his album cover is a nice touch, but I don't think that I would have copied the design as closely as they did. To me, it kind of feels like cheating to just use the same design But I think given the greatness of the album and what it did to music at that time, it works. You know, obviously, we can kind of see the acclaim and everything that came from this album. As always, I'd like to give you some tips on how you can use the concepts of this album cover in your own designs and projects. One of the first things that stands out to me is not to rule out something that isn't perfect. You may be asking yourself, what does that mean? So think about the photo itself. It's blurry, out of focus, and there probably were better looking images that they could have used for the cover art. But that was the right shot for the cover. So trust your gut and don't let what someone may call an imperfection stop you from using the image that you know speaks to your project. Now, if the the image is just terrible, like if it's just a bad image, don't use it, but the blurry, unfocused nature of this image adds to the storytelling for this album. My second piece of advice would be to look for inspiration in the album covers of your heroes, but don't just outright copy them. Please, please don't do that. Uh, I wouldn't condone doing exactly what this designer did with the London Calling cover, but there are ways to use the elements, the colors, and, and you know other portions of it to inform the design of your album cover. So for instance, 
instance, you could use the same colors from the text, but in a new way. What if you took the pink color and use that to tint your image and then use the green for the text um, and then just, you know, also use a really great image? That would be a cool way that also pays homage to this color and uh, helps kind of think outside the box. So don't be afraid to look for inspiration from great covers of the past. That's it for the cover art for London Calling by The Clash. So what are your thoughts on this album cover? Would you rate this cover as one of the best covers of all time? Also, what do you think of the designer using the exact same layout as the Elvis Presley cover? for this cover. Is that something you would have done? Let me know in the comments below or send me a message at info at jwcrates.com. All right. My favorite segment is coming up and I have something really fun for you. So it's going to go off in three, two, one. What did y'all think of the new segment music? Is it a keeper or does it need a little bit of work? Let me know. Today's near miss is interesting. Uh, And it's more of one of those, who let you name your album that? Not even kidding. The name of today's album is, you can tune a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Cue the weird cricket noises. Um... (laughs) You know, this isn't even some weird, obscure band or from a weird genre. There are songs on this album that I know that you've heard probably more than once. Today's Near Miss album came out in 1978, so uh, basically a year before our London Calling album. It is the seventh studio album by the band REO Speedwagon. REO, as some people will like to refer to them as, is an American rock band that formed in 1967. The band gathered a following in the 70s, but didn't really hit commercial success until the 80s. The album Can't Tune a Fish, (laughs) that's how I'm going to call it, because that's such a long name, was the first album for REO Speedwagon to make the top 40, peaking at number 29, and is registered two times platinum. The two hits from the album, Time For Me To Fly and Roll With The Changes, have since become two of the band's best-known songs. There are two bits of accomplishment for this album. In 2005, the album cover was featured on Pitchfork's list of the worst record covers of all time. And in 2014, its title was featured in NME's list of the 50 worst album titles in history. And quite frankly, neither of these surprise me. Uh, (laughs) So, in a nutshell, this is the album cover. There is a tuna fish with a tuning fork in its mouth. That's kind of against a bright blue sky. And the sun is shining off of the the shiny tuning fork. And this image is outlined by a a white box uh, with the band name up top and then the name of the album at the bottom. And it's just in a basic black uh, sans serif font. Very basic, um, and it's a tuna fish with a tuning fork in its mouth. (laughs) I mean, uh, with that name, there isn't much to work with. So how did they land on that name? In a fan Q&A session that that marked the album's 45th anniversary, 
Kevin Cronin said that the joke about the difference between a piano and a fish had been told by a friend at an after show party. Uh, He said, when I heard that punchline, I thought, that sounds like a good album title. It's outside the box. It's wacky. And the music we'd written for that album was diverse stylistically. We were definitely thinking outside the box. He also added, to me, the album title should say something about the music on the album. I felt it was a good match and everyone agreed. Uh, everyone agreed? <laughs> During the same Q&A session, he was asked if if they had a hard time getting the record company on board. And he said, Epic Records, back at that time, was perhaps the most creative, the most artist-friendly label there was. When we sent the songs in, they heard the music and they dug it. And so when they got the album title that we were proposing, they were all in from the very beginning. I know the 70s were a weird time, but how... Did no one stop this from happening? No one? No one said, uh, maybe we should rethink this? Come on. (laughs) Now, you may be asking yourself, Josh, how would you fix this album cover? Number one, don't name your album after the punchline of a joke. Don't. Don't do it. Please. (laughs) Especially a joke about the difference between a piano and a tuna fish. Uh, There's just much better stuff. And like... I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, but time for me to fly and roll with the changes. Both of those great songs. You've probably heard them a ton. They've been in movies. One of those. Use one of those. There's good stuff here, man. (laughs) Uh, I will say I do believe that the designer did the best that they could given the subject matter. But gosh, even like a hand-drawn cartoon fish tuning a piano or, or something like that. Could have made a way better cover, but like a photograph of a of a dead tuna fish with a tuning fork in its mouth, uh, it, it's just way too literal for me. Also, if I had some takeaways from this, I will say that number one, people are going to agree with your terrible ideas. Uh, the fact that it sounds like no one stopped this from happening is a perfect example of that. So definitely find some people that can give you feedback that aren't afraid of hurting your feelings or you know find some people that can be like hey man this this is not good you should try something different do that uh, because people will agree with your terrible ideas and number two uh, in the case of this album the the bad album name and image did not hurt the impact of the great music if your music is great the imagery isn't going to hold it back from people loving it now This was probably more true when your music was consumed only on the radio, like it was in the 70s, 80s, gosh, maybe even into the 90s. Most people probably didn't see the album cover art for 90% of the music they listened to, so it didn't inform or change their ideas. To me, it's a little different today where people are scrolling through music on a screen or on a device, and they are judging it solely on the outward appearance most of the times. Now, sometimes if someone recommends it or you know heard it on social media or something like that, that's different. But if they're just looking for music, scrolling through a list, don't let your great music not get listened to because of bad cover art. And please, don't be the person or group with bad cover art. And guessing by the fact that you are here hanging out with me, you don't want bad cover art either. So 
What do you think about the album, You Can Tune a Piano, But You Can't Tune a Fish? Do you have any other suggestions on how you would try and fix this cover art or do something different? Again, let me know in the comments. Also, if you have other examples of questionable cover art or album names that you would like me to discuss in future episodes, let me know in the comments below or again, send me a message at info at jwcrates.com. That's it for today's episode of the Judge by the Cover podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you are listening. And I hope you have enjoyed talking about these two album covers. If you would like to learn more about me, check out my website, jwcrates.com, or follow me on Facebook and Instagram by searching at jdub, that's J-D-U-B, creates. Have a great day, and we will do this again very soon. Proud member of the Podnuga Network.